0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 if you don't mind. Matthew chapter 6. This will be, um, we got one more week in this series. And um, we've really enjoyed, myself and the worship team, Switching the worship order up a little bit. Um, If you've not been with us for a while, preach a little bit, sing a little bit, pray a little bit, worship a little bit, sing a little bit all throughout instead of me just doing the whole sermon all at once. I've actually really enjoyed the switch up. Um, After next week, we're going to switch it up again, kind of go back the way it was before, one few songs and then me speaking. So hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, all those you are watching online, those who are here today, if you're a guest, uh, we're glad that you're here. We have a new way to connect with you. It's on the screen behind me. If you're a first-time guest today, uh, or maybe you've been a guest with us a few times, but we haven't made a connection with you, if you could just take out your cell phone and type in that number 84576 and then text to that number HP guest. The amazing thing about technology is when you do that during the service, it goes to our folks back here in the back that are serving in guest services, and they're gonna to put together a gift bag for you. And they'll be they'll be available for you when you walk out the back. Now, if you've been coming for a while, but you've not got connected to Flocknote, same thing, 84576, but instead you text HP Connect, and what will happen is you'll get a response and it'll help you sign up on Flocknote. What Flocknote is, is all that's the platform we use for all the communication for our church. That's where our bulletin comes through that now. Uh, Anything that's coming up in the church, we will not overload you with stuff because we know that your phone buzzes quite a bit. So we'll only send you stuff that is important, but we won't overload you and you have the option to opt out at any point. Matthew chapter six, let's pick it up in verse nine. The model prayer, Jesus in response to his disciples about teaching them how to pray says this, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is our focus for today. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we pause this morning and we give you praise and honor and worship. And Father, we thank you for this book. And Lord, this book is without any errors, and there is nothing like it in the world. Father, this book speaks directly to our heart. It speaks to the biggest life questions that we have. Where did we come from? What is our purpose? What happens when we die? All of that is answered. There's so much more in this book. Father, in this book we can find joy and peace in life. In this book, your words to us, we can find what true love is really about. We can find out what marriage is meant to be. We can find out how to be better fathers and mothers. We can, be, we can find out what it means to lead and to serve others. And Father, we can go on and on. But Father, we love you and we love your word. So Father, God us in it this morning. We approach it with humility. Knowing, Father, that it is far deeper than we could ever wrap our arms around. We can spend our whole lifetime reading it and never, ever be able to complete it. So Father, we thank you for it. We seek your face this morning, we seek your guidance, we seek your help. We love you and we worship you along the days. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're gonna go back to a Psalm today, but I first wanted to say thank you for coming back today after last week. Uh, (laughs) That was a hard sermon last week. And um, when you preach a sermon like that, you have that thought in your mind, Man, I hope those folks come back for at least one more week, um, and I'm glad you're here today. Apparently, there's some kind of uh, video platform out there that just a few people excited about called TikTok. I'm not really involved with it. You know, there's so much technology changing going on right now, I can't even keep up with it, so I don't try. But, but this thing, this TikTok thing, man, it's taking on a whole new life of its own, and, you know, the thing is, is to post funny videos or videos of your vacation. They're short and quick, but there was this one video that caught my eye that really fits in with where we're going today. It's by a lady named Kaylin Phillips. She looks like she may be early 20s, maybe late teens. And she was on vacation with some friends of her in Bali. I think I'm saying that wrong, Bali, Bali? I don't know, but it's a beautiful place. And they were on a beach. And she's walking along the beach and she looks in the water and she finds this little small octopus. And it is absolutely gorgeous. I guess you could say cute. It has colors of gold and orange, but it has these blue circles, just very pronounced, very vibrant blue circles all over its body, all the way down on its tentacles. So she she reaches in the water, scoops this thing up, and her friends kind of gather around her, and they're looking at it, and it's crawling all over her hand, and it falls out of this hand into the other hand, and all of her friends are petting an octopus. By the way, I'm not so sure octopus hi, like to be petted. How do we know? I don't know. But anyway, they're petting this octopus as though it's like a cat or a puppy or something. It's kind of weird. And I'm watching this and what I know about the story is, and it's not shown in the story, but she posts this video to Instagram while she's on the beach. And almost immediately she gets flooded with responses. And the responses are, do you realize what you're holding in your hand? that that octopus is in the top 10 of the most deadliest animals in the world. Now you you can imagine her heart when she read that first post on Instagram. In fact, that particular little beautiful octopus that's crawling all over her hands has enough poison in one bite to kill 26 adults. If you get bit by that thing, you don't even know you're bit, you don't even feel it. Matter of fact, you won't even notice like a wound or anything, that's how tiny the the bite is on your hand but you will die within three minutes of getting bit by this thing and there is there's no antidote and by the way she's far removed from any hospital and she's holding in her hand one of the most deadliest animals in the world petting it as though it's a dog her response after after she after she gathers herself and quits crying she calls her dad and says Dad, um, I guess I've got nine lives after all. Well, I wouldn't want to use those other eight holding the most deadliest animals in the world. Doesn't seem like a good plan. Right here in the model prayer, Jesus directs our attention to something that I don't know that we're praying that much about. And I don't know that it even crosses our mind to be praying about what Jesus encourages us to pray about in this model prayer. Remember the model prayer gives us, a, again, a model to follow that, that in our prayer we should be worshiping, we should surrendering ourselves to God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we're praying and seeking God's provision daily in our lives, even for the most simplest of things, that we are seeking God's forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And then we get to verse 13. And it says this, and lead us not into temptation. Well, if we're praying this to God, if we're praying this to our Father, then what does it mean to pray to God that he would not lead us into temptation? That, that should cause us a little bit of a pause right there. Well, first of all, the understanding of this text in this model prayer is not that, that God would ever lead us or tempt us with sin. We read in James chapter 1, verse 13, James says there very clearly, with precision, that, that God can never, ever tempt someone to sin. That's not who he is. As a matter of fact, if he were to do that, it would violate who he is, his very character, his the very attributes, attributes of who he is. And not only that, but but Jesus says that we're to be holy like God is holy. <clears throat> but how can we be holy if the very God we're worshiping and serving is leading us with temptations to sin? No, that's not the case at all. What Jesus is saying to us in this text is that we are in our prayer time, in our conversation with God, to say to God, God Help me not to yield to the temptations that are coming at me from every side. And then Jesus goes on to the next part, and he says, and deliver us from evil. Some of your translations may say this, and I think this translation is more accurate, but deliver us from the evil one. It it personifies this evil. It personifies the source of temptations, and we know that person to be Satan, the devil, the forces of darkness, demons that are all part of this kingdom that he's leading, this kingdom that will be put down at some point. So when we read that text, here's what Jesus is saying for us to include in our model prayer, in the prayers that we're praying back to him. First of all, Lord, help me to not yield when temptations come. And secondly, deliver me from the influence of Satan and his evil kingdom. That's actually what we're praying there. Now, when we consider temptation, there's a couple of things we need to understand. First of all, temptation itself is not a sin. Temptations are all around us all the time, and what a temptation is, it's, it's something that allures us, that, that grabs our attention, that, that has as its desire to mislead us, and really, a temptation has as its goal is for us to forget about God. If you just kind of boil it all down to what the purpose of a temptation is, the purpose of the temptation is for a momentary time for you to just simply forget who God is, to forget who you are, to forget the power of what it means to be one of his followers, to simply forget all of that for a moment of time and to indulge. We talked about David last week, and David was simply walking around on his rooftop, Now, I expressed to you last week that when David was walking around on that rooftop, this is not the first time that he's thought about Bathsheba. But this seems to be the moment where everything kind of culminates in that opportunity for a temptation to present itself. David is walking around on the rooftop, and he looks over at Bathsheba on another rooftop, and she's taking a bath, and his eyes linger a little too long. His heart begins to kind of consider what would it be like to have her. And from that heart, from that look to his heart, to the choices that he makes, he puts into motion this plan to have Bathsheba as his own, which then leads to him lying repeatedly to cover it up, and then putting her husband on the front lines of the military battle, having the military pull back just long enough for him to get killed in that battle. So what started with a simple look a temptation has led to absolute destruction of his household. Remember I told you that 12 months passed from the time that he committed all of that sin and disobedience to the time that Nathan confronts him and, and 12 months has nothing in comparison to what the rest of his life was gonna look like. Nothing was ever the same. His household was an absolute train wreck from that point forward. But because David is a man in all human beings, man and female, male and female alike, we all are confronted with temptation. That was not the only temptation that David had to deal with. As a matter of fact, every day of your life, there's going to be temptations. Turn to Psalm 141. This is a really interesting psalm because what we find here is David praying to God and apparently he's dealing with some temptations. Now I don't know if this psalm was written after the Bathsheba incident or before. I tend to think it was after. And what we're gonna see in this psalm is not only David struggling with some things, what you're gonna find is the practical things that David is struggling with. The very same things that you and I struggle with, with temptation, we're gonna find right here in this psalm. But also in the psalm, we're gonna find some very practical advice in what Paul, or what David is praying to God and asking God to do in his life on the, in response to these temptations. So let's pick it up in verse one in Psalm 141. He says, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So often with David's Psalms, are 73 of them that, that David starts out with praise and worship which fits in perfectly with the model prayer that Jesus is teaching us. That we honor his name, that we honor who he is, and in that moment when we honor God for who he is, we remember who we are, we remember how he's seated in power and authority and sovereignty, we realize how weak and even insignificant that we are, and what that does is it prepares for what we're gonna ask and what we're gonna talk about to God in prayer. But notice. How often in so many other of David's psalms, David is dealing with real serious matters. Saul's trying to kill him. David's on the run. His life is at stake. So many of those psalms are tied up that, or it may be that, that David has just been delivered and he's worshiping and honoring God for all that God has done in his life. But this psalm, it's gonna seem rather simplistic because what David does at the beginning is he says to God, God, I know who you are and I'm here to worship you. And Lord, I want you to hear my prayer. And Lord, I want you to see my heart for what it really is, and I'm going to lift my hands and worship and praise. It sounds like David is getting ready to go into a really difficult situation that he's dealing with, but notice what he says next. Verse 3, he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. That almost seems out of place, but it's really not. How many of us sitting in this room would love for God to put a guard on our lips. I didn't ask you to raise your hand, but you can. It's all good. Maybe in our context it would sound better like this. Lord, set a guard at my keyboard. Or Lord, set a guard with my phone. You know where I'm getting here. Not just the words of our mouth but the things we're saying to other people through a keyboard. David says, and what beautiful imagery here, David being a military man, he says, set a guard at my mouth. And, and in, in, in the Psalms, David's Psalms, all the Psalms, really, we have something called parallelism, and what you have in verse three is David saying the same thing twice, but in that second verse, that second part of verse three, he's expanding on it. He says, God set a guard in my heart, or set a guard in my mouth, but then he says, Keep a watch over the door of my lips because there's some things that's about to spill out of my mouth that if I don't have a guard, I'm going to say the wrong thing. David? Here, here's David who's a, who's a musician, who's written 73 Psalms, who is a man after God's own heart, who, who the New Testament constantly looks back to, and what is David praying for in his prayer to God? Of all the things he can be praying for, he's saying, God, help me with my mouth. That's pretty simplistic, isn't it? But you and I both know how easily our mouth gets us into trouble. You and I both know that the words of our mouth can be so destructive. There's a lie that's been passed around for years. And please don't perpetuate this lie. Don't be the one who shares this lie, but this is a lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. Can we all agree that's a lie? You've all been hurt by words, haven't you? I have, you have. Maybe you've been the one that was doing the hurting. David here, I don't know what's going on in David's life. I don't know exactly where this is set in David's lifetime, but this is what I know. David is on his knees before God with his hands lifted high and he's begging God to do what? Guard my mouth. The king of Israel? has a problem with with saying the wrong thing. I don't know if he's saying things out of anger. I don't know if he's saying things out of gossip. I don't know what he's doing. I just know this. I know the potential for gossip. I know the potential for hurtful words. I know the potential for hate to flow out of my mouth and yours. And maybe we need to join David in the prayer so that when we're praying this model prayer, Lord, Deliver us from the evil one, Lord. Help me not to yield to sin and temptation. Maybe that starts with how we're using our mouths. There has been a many of a church and a many of a ministry and a many of a pastor and a many of church leader sidelined simply by words. David says, set a guard on my mouth. I think that's something we need to be praying. Look at verse 4. So David says, Lord, guard my mouth. But he also says, Lord, protect my heart. Look at this. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company of men, company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. That phrase, incline the heart. If you've put your faith in Jesus, and you've come from death on the life, and you've been made new, and you've experienced the rebirth Your heart was inclined, turned towards God. The very moment you were born again, you were given, well, you were a new you, new creation. And that heart that you have in that new birth is a heart that is passionate, desiring to follow Jesus in all matters of your life. Do we do it all the time? No. Why is that? Because temptations show up in our life. And what those temptations do is incline our heart towards something else. As I said at the very beginning, the whole point of a temptation is to get you to forget who you are and who Christ is. To incline the heart. He says here, don't let my heart incline towards evil. Father, don't let my heart be about anything else other than you. Don't let my heart be consumed with some other power. Now, as you probably already know, He is not talking about the heart beating in your chest. I mean, the word heart is used over and over and over again. Very few times is it talking about your physical heart. What it's talking about is the real you. If the Bible describes the real you, your personality, that place where you make decisions, that place in you, not your flesh, but the real you, that part is gonna live forever, The Bible talks about that as your heart. And and what David's talking about, what the New Testament talks about over and over again, is that we can give our heart to something that is not God. We can give our heart to something less than. And that our choices in our life and the way we live is dictated by that thing rather than the God who created us. So when David says, don't let my heart be inclined or given to something else, something less than. Let my heart be completely surrendered the God who loves me and wants the best for me. Notice what else he says, he says, don't let my heart incline to evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in the company with men who work iniquity. My parents told me, if I, if I had a dollar for every time my parents told me this growing up, I'd probably have quite a bit of money, I would imagine. I can hear my dad saying it right now in my head and with his voice, he would say, son, You'll become who you hang out with. Did your parents ever tell you that? Maybe a different variation of that. But you're going to become who, you, who you're going to hang out with. And that became a reality in my life. I came to faith in Christ when I was 16. And from 16 to 18, I was following Jesus. I, I was bringing Jesus up at my high school. But when I got to the community college, because for many of you who don't know my story, I was an electrician for 12 years before God called me to ministry. So I went to a community college, just like Robinson Community College, and I, I went through the electrical program. I learned how to do electrical work, and it was there I met a group of guys, and we all had the same interest. But one of the things they were interested in that I had never really participated in, and that was alcohol and going to clubs and bars and all that, saying, I had never done any of that. And they liked the motorcycles. I was really into motorcycles. The next thing I know, we linked up, and next thing you know... These temptations begin to come, and you know what I did? I forgot the Christ who saved me. I forgot the God who loved me. I forgot the grace that I had experienced. Not that I had put it out of my mind. Oh, no, it was there fresh every time. But in those moments with them, Jesus never came up. In those moments with them, running down that road and all that conviction, and God saying to me, this is not who I created you to be. You know what I did? I just try to forget that. Oh, I would pray the prayer. Oh, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again, only to two days later do exactly the same thing again. David says here, this is the king of Israel, and he says to God in his prayers, God protect me from who I'm hanging out with. I don't want to be with the company of men who work iniquity. That's that's David the King praying that prayer. I think that's amazing. He's saying, Guard my mouth. He's saying, Guard my heart. He's saying, Let me choose people to hang out with that have a heart for you. And then he says this, let me not eat of their delicacies. That really caused me trouble. What are you talking about, David? What does that mean? Like eating like cakes and pies with these guys? What does that mean? Well, what it means is is that not only does David not want to hang out with those people, but he doesn't want to become like them and eat the same things they're eating, doing the same things they're doing. David says in his prayer to God, God, keep me back from these people who wish to do me harm and put temptations in front of me that I know I ought not to be participating in. I don't want to eat their food. I don't want to drink their drink. I don't want to shoot up with the drugs they're shooting up with. I don't want to watch the pornography they're watching. Because if I hang out with them long enough, I'm gonna become just like them. And my heart will be inclined to something less than than you. It starts with a heart turned aside. Then it begins, well, I'm gonna hang out with my old friends, my old buddies, you know. I'm not not gonna do what they're doing, I'm just gonna hang out. Just just like the same person who said, oh, I'm, I'm gonna reconnect with this girl I used to date in high school, there's no big deal, right? Oh, I'm going to reconnect with that guy that I used to date in high school. My wife doesn't need to know that, or my husband doesn't need to know that. It's no big deal. And maybe we can hang out. Maybe we can spend some time together. Can I tell you, that is a temptation that's going to bring destruction into your life and has us the goal for you to just forget about God and forget who you are, to incline your heart towards things that are less than Lost person, let me speak to you just a moment. Your heart's already inclined to evil. The reality is if you're lost and you've never put your faith in Jesus, your heart is dark and cold and dead. That's what the Bible says about it. And the fact is you are totally given the temptation. Anything that comes, you're all in because there's nothing inside of you better than that thing. There's nothing in your life greater than God. There's nothing in your life that is greater than him, but yet all these temptations come and the greatest thing in your life right now, the God that is in your life is money, sex, relationships, power, hanging with the guys, that's your God. It could be alcohol, it could be marijuana, it could be meth, it could be any host of things, but your heart is already dictated by another God, a lesser God, a God who will bring devastation into your life. What we're actually talking about here, and where we're gonna go with this is that Christ is king and sovereign over your life, and he will not share that kingship with anyone else. If you're a Christ follower, you've been reborn to new life, given a new heart, a new life, a new purpose. Jesus is not gonna share that with any other false king. So when those temptations come, the point of them is to get you to forget about him. Father, as we continue to to worship, Father, I pray that in these moments, as we sing about Christ and his beauty and his power, that Father, we could look inward, not looking at anyone else. And Father, we would ask the following questions. And we would invite you to put your finger on some things in our life that are a problem. Temptations that we're falling into where we forget about you. And Father, it may start with our mouth, the things we're saying, the gossip, the hatred, the things we're posting. Father, it may be that we just simply call out We're sorry, and we need a guard on our mouth. It may be that our heart is inclined to lesser things. Father, as we exalt your name, put your finger on some things in our life right now, Lord, that is causing us to forget the greatest thing that's ever happened in our life. Speak to us, Lord. We're we're listening. Speak to us through a song. Speak to us through the Holy Spirit, but Lord, we long to hear your voice. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Woo! My goodness, on the solid rock I will stand. And nothing shall pluck me out of his hand. Give him praise in this house. Yeah, hey, you don't have to you don't have to stop. Give him praise. Mm. What's the Lord set you free from? Go ahead. What's the Lord set you free from this morning? What has he given you victory over? There's some people here that need to hear you shout. There's some people here this morning that are lost and they don't know the power of salvation the way you do. They don't know the addictions that some folks sitting in this room have been set free from. They don't know the healings that you've experienced. Give him a shout of praise in this place today. Don't hold back on that. Don't be embarrassed to give him praise. Mm. He says, David says, he says, verse five, let a righteous man strike me. It is as kindness. let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let him not refuse it. What in the world is David saying here in verse five? Sounds rather insane, doesn't it? David says in his prayer to God, he says, bring somebody into my life who will hold me accountable and tell me what I don't want to hear. He's saying, bring someone into my life to rebuke me. And he says, when that rebuke comes, it'll be like oil for my head, the idea being that when a sheep would injure itself, they would, they would pour this oil on that sheep for anointing, for healing. You know what David is asking for? He's asking for someone who loves him to step into his life and say, David, you're wrong. David, you're going down the wrong path. David, you're not loving God the way you once did. David, how's your prayer life? David, what's your eyes looking at? David, what are your mouth? What's your mouth saying? He's saying, somebody, God, provide that, provide that someone in my life. We don't often pray that, if at all. You know why we don't? Because we believe we've got this. We believe we've got it. And we we don't want to be vulnerable enough in front of a brother or a sister in Christ to say I'm getting this wrong and I need help. You are sitting here today and you're trying to do it yourself. You know deep down you can't. It may be that needle you're sticking in your arm. It it may be that you can't get by a day without putting that thing in there and getting that shot. It may be that bottle of alcohol, it may be that joint, it may be that porn, it can be any host of things, but let me tell you very clearly and precisely, you don't have this, it has you. Those marital problems, you're trying to put on a facade for everyone that everything's okay. But what you desperately need is someone to step into your life who loves you and says, there is help in Christ, and I'm here to walk with you. David says, I need somebody in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in that office up here that old office over there or at a coffee shop somewhere where someone's sitting across from me from the table, and their life is absolutely on a path of destruction. I have sat across the table from people who've lost every bit of their teeth because of drug abuse. I have sat across the table from people who are destroying their marriage and destroying their kids and destroying everything that they love, only to look me in the eye when I offer them help and try to speak the truth to them, only to have them look at me and go, I got this. Is that what you're saying this morning? I got this. Let me tell you, you don't have it. You don't. Until you get to that place where you're calling out to God, saying, God, bring somebody in my life, anybody, anybody who can help me with this, anybody. I, it doesn't matter what they know. It doesn't matter what they, what they think about my marriage. It doesn't matter what they think about my life. I need help, and I'm willing to take it from anybody who's willing to love me and help me navigate out of this mess. And any Christ follower who's following Jesus is going to help you and not hurt you. Be very careful who you ask into this relationship, because there are people out there who are following Jesus from legalism. And they will step into your life, and they'll do more harm than they'll ever do good. And they'll tell you how awful you are. They will condemn you. They will put themselves above you. Do not let that person speak truth into your life. I'm talking about somebody who knows the grace of God because they've experienced the grace of God. I'm talking about somebody who's been forgiven much, who can step into your life and say, you know what, I walked down that same path, and I made some bad mistakes, but I'm going to help you to not walk down that same road. That's who you got to have in your life. That's who David wants in his life. But folks, we gotta be vulnerable long enough to say, I don't have this, I don't have it. It's bigger than me. And I've tried, I've thrown everything I've got at it. I need someone that can step into my life and ask me the hard questions. Out of love, and out of grace. David says he's gonna embrace accountability. Then look at verses six and seven. Let's look at this together. When their judges are thrown over the cliff and then when they hear, they, they, then they shall hear my words, get that, when their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words. How many times has someone give you the warning and you just pressed on anyway and then it all blows up and then you have that regret? Oh, how I wish I could go back. David, if, it, if, we, could, if we could sit down and talk with David. David would say that I wish, like everything, I could go back to that day when all of my men went out to fight and I stayed home. I wish, like everything, I had never walked up on the rooftop of my house. I wish, I never, nothing, I, like everything, I had not looked over to that other roof. David says here he knows people who've been told the truth, but yet persisted in ignoring God and embracing the temptation, and he says they fall off the cliff. And then when they fall off the cliff, guess what? Oh, I guess that was true after all. Notice this, he says, as when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. What David is saying here is that just like when you till the soil and it throws out rocks and all kinds of things, that the nation of Israel has a long history of their people ignoring God and doing their own thing. He says, you don't have to look far in Israelite culture to find a nation of people who just ignored God and paid the price. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. You have people in your life. And maybe this person is you, not someone else. And whether it be someone else or yourself, there is a temptation that keeps coming along and every time it comes along, you fall right back into it. And you've prayed and you've asked God to forgive you and. Only to find two days, two months, two years later, you're right back in the same place. And with each time, you feel more awful than the time you did before. Maybe that's you or someone in your life. The word instructs us to be still and know that he is God, to be still and listen. So if it's you, if it's you, The Lord wants to do something in your heart this morning. If it's someone else whom you see is going down a road where the bridge is out, I want you to pray for them right now. I want you to intercede for them right now. I want you to pray that that person, wherever they are, whatever they're engaging in, would finally once and for all surrender their life to Christ. We have plenty of examples all around us of people who have followed those temptations only to have their life destroyed. You've got plenty of illustrations in your own home, your own family, of people who are listening to the wrong God. Don't let that be you. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment and you are in this place. The reason you're in this place is because you live in me and every believer that's in this room. So our heart's desire this morning is to yield completely and totally to you. And Father, we wanna lift up all those names and all those faces that are walking, even running down a path of destruction. And Father, it seems as though they won't listen to anyone. It seems as though that they've been told over and over again that this is gonna destroy their life, but yet there's no change. Father, right now, collectively, as your people, we lift them up to you in prayer. We we ask that you would intervene. We ask, Father, that you would convict. We ask, Lord, that you would draw them back to yourself, either for salvation or repentance. Father, we pray that that even now they would feel the weight of the choices they're making. And, Father, they wouldn't feel helpless, but that they would know that you love them. And, Lord, life was never meant to be like this. Father, if it's the people who are sitting in this room, that temptation is completely having its power over them. We just sung about the power of Christ. Do we really believe that Jesus is enough? Father, set the captives free. Don't allow the folks in this room or the people that they're lifting up allow their lives to be destroyed by temptations. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Look at verse eight. David says, but my eyes are toward you, O God. In you I seek refuge, leave me not defenseless. I told you at the very beginning that temptation has this goal for you to forget who God is and forget who you are. David says, Lord, not only let my heart be inclined, turn towards you, but help me to keep my eyes on you. You see, whatever we focus our life on is what oftentimes has power over our lives. Whatever we focus our attention to, whatever we give our time and our talents and our treasure to, that's what becomes the God in our life. And and David says, I don't want any other God in my life. I don't want my eyes on anything else because everything else is less than you. Everything else... Everything else can never provide the refuge that I seek. You see that word refuge, it's a place of safety. It's a place of peace. It's like the idea that you run into a kingdom and and the gate closes behind you and you're on the backside of the walls and finally you can rest, you can relax because now you find your refuge. David is saying that there's only one place to find refuge, and you will never find it in drugs, alcohol, and sexuality, and relationships, and all the stuff that includes in temptations. You will never find it there. You will forget God. You will pursue that, only to get on the backside of it and know that yet again it has failed you, because it always will, because it's less than the one who created you. David says, keep my eyes toward you, O God, and only in you can I find refuge, and only in you can I find defense, and only in you can I find safety, and only in you can I find what my soul desires most. Don't spend your life participating, seeking after things that are less than God that can never bring satisfaction to you, only to find yourself on a deathbed days from now, years from now, regretting everything you've done. This all been a waste. David says, help me to keep my eyes on you. God has been faithful to you. He's going to continue to be faithful to you. So why would you look anywhere else? Let's stand and let's sing this incredibly beautiful song about God's faithfulness. And let's think about why in the world would anything take his place in our lives? Notice what David says next. He says in verse eight or verse nine, in his prayer to God, he says, keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass safely by. David recognizes that these temptations are nothing more than traps. As a military-minded man, he knew what it meant to be entrapped how his enemies would set traps for his military. He knew what that was about. So what he does is he says, God, I know that the temptations that are going to cause me to forget about you and enjoy sin for a season, I know they're nothing more than a trap. And those traps cause incredible damage to my life, to my testimony, to my family. So he says, keep me from the trap that they've laid for me, and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall in their own nets while I pass safely by. David says to the Lord, Lord, I see the traps. I know what they are. Help me to navigate around them. Lord, give me a pathway around those temptations. Give me a back door. Give me an escape. Give me a pattern or a path to follow that keeps me from stepping into these traps. When I was, um, when my kids were young, and I'd have to go to to Walmart to get oil and filters to change oil in the cars. And I'd, I'd have one of them with me and they're really small and you know, you'd have them in the shopping cart. My, my singular goal, well there's a couple of goals at that time and one of them still today. If I go to Walmart, I have one single goal. That's to get in and out in there and out of there as quick as I possibly can. That's my goal. But when I had, the kids were small, two, three, I had another goal. And that is to get them into that store and out of that store without going down that long candy aisle or that toy aisle. And that's, that's a success for me because I, I knew if I went down that aisle, I was going to be in there for another hour. There could be tantrums that turn up. There could be, well, you know, I want that and I want it now like toddlers like to do. And if I can avoid all that and take them through, you know, like cloth and tires, I'll do it no problem i'll find that back entrance to get in there and get out of there and the whole point of that is for them to not be tempted david says give me a pathway that doesn't take me by these traps give me a pathway that helps me to focus on you and not on that lord help me to forsake the people i'm hanging around with and walk with you The interesting thing is is that Paul said exactly the same thing to the church at Corinth. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says exactly the same thing. Isn't it amazing how beautifully Scripture fits together here? We don't have a bunch of separated books talking about a lot of different things. They're all fitting together perfectly, just as God intended it to. So we've gone from the model prayer where Jesus says part of our prayer time should be, Lord, lead us away from temptation deliver us from the evil one. David says, guard my mouth, guard my heart, guard, keep me away from the people who's going to lead me to forget about you and give me a pathway to where I can stay away and run away from these temptations. First Corinthians chapter 10, pick it up at verse 11. So Paul writes, he says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Well, what things is he talking about? If you back up into the chapter, here's what you're going to find. Paul goes back into Israelite history, and he points out some particular times in their history where they absolutely were given to temptation. They ran towards it. They forgot about God, and it caused all kinds of pain and turmoil in the nation of Israel. And, And not only that, but they continued to run towards these temptations over and over again, Some of it was sexual immorality. Some of it was idolatry. Some of it was just, we want to be in control. We want to be in power. We don't want to surrender to a God in the heavens. We want to to do our own thing. You see, nothing's changed under the sun, has it? I mean, the same things they dealt with, same things we deal with. And what Paul tells us about is how that God overthrew them, judged them. That God brought some pain into their life. And Paul says exactly what David said is that if you look across the landscape of Israelite history, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find bones everywhere of people who were judged by God who simply would not listen to him. They wouldn't listen to the prophets. God would send the prophets. Talking about accountability. David says, bring someone into my life that will hold me accountable. God did exactly that for an entire nation. They're called the prophets. You know what they did? They ignored them. So God said, okay, have it your way. And he wiped them out. Paul says here to the church at Corinth, and by the way, this church had all kinds of issues going on inside the church, inside the leadership. And he says to them, now these things that happened in Israel, they become an example to us. And Paul says they were written down in the Old Testament for our instruction, that we would pay attention To what happened there, that God warned them, they they ignored it, and then God brought pain and judgment into their life. Now listen to what he says, verse 12. He says, therefore, in other words, with this in mind, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Let Let me put that in local vernacular. You think you got it? You don't. You think you've got your addictions and your, your, your temptation, you think you've got them under control. Oh, you, you think you have the power within you to control that alcohol addiction or that other addiction. You think you've got it. Paul says you don't have it. And the longer you think you've got it, the more in danger and in peril you are because you don't. You justify it. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, you're good for a while, good for a few months. Maybe even a couple years. Well, boy, that thing shows back up. And you're sitting there at night with that laptop open. Everybody's gone to bed. Nobody's watching. Little click here and a click there. Next thing you know, you're looking at things you should never be looking at. He says, Paul says, that the very moment you think you've got it is the very moment you're at the most peril. Listen to what else he says. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So not only when you think you've got it, you don't, but also don't think that what you're dealing with, you're the only one to ever deal with it. You see, see, Satan is a really good liar, and what he will do is he will present this thing to you and he'll make you think that nobody else has ever had to deal with that, that nobody else ever had to face that. Nobody else has ever had to face this and overcome it. So therefore, if nobody else has ever had to face it, and I'm the only one, then I don't have the strength to overcome this, so I might as well just go ahead and engage. Paul says that's a lie. Ever since the fall, all the way till now, there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes. Whatever you're facing has been faced over and over and over again, here's the thing, the thing that you're facing, there have been people that have had victory over it. There are people who said no to it. There are people who said, oh, I'm not having that in my life because that's less than God. That's less than what my heart desires. That's, that, that thing right there is nothing more than a trap. So no, I am not going down that path. No, I am not engaging in that. And when Satan leads you to think that you're the only one, he sure does make that path a whole lot easier to just go ahead and engage. Paul says, there is not a single temptation that you have ever faced that you alone have had to face that nobody else has. Not a single one. But wait, it gets even more interesting. Look at this. He says, God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may endure it. Paul is saying exactly what David prayed thousands of years earlier. God, these temptations are a trap. Give me a pathway around them and let those who set the traps for me fall in themselves. Paul says to the church at Corinth, hey, every temptation you've had to face is common to all people. And not only that, that temptation that you're facing has passed through the hands of God, not that he is the author of it, because he is not the author of sin, but make sure you understand that every single temptation, I want you to say this with me, every temptation, say it every temptation that you've ever faced, you can overcome it as a follower of Jesus. Every single one. I don't care how strong the draw is for that substance. God has given you all that you need to overcome it. We have people sitting in the room this morning who've overcome it. There are people sitting in the room this morning who said no to some of the most difficult things they've ever had to face in their life because Christ gave them the power to say no and they acknowledge that that thing, whatever it was, was less than Christ. So no, I'm not having it, not having it. God says through the hand of Paul, the Holy Spirit says through the hand of Paul, That for the Christ follower, make sure you get this, this is worded to Christians, disciples. If you're a Jesus follower, this promise applies to you. If you are lost in your sins, this does not apply to you because you are dead in darkness. You are totally and completely vulnerable to every temptation that comes. You have no power to withstand it other than your own willpower, which is very weak. But for the Christ follower, get the Holy Spirit living in you. Look at this. He says there's a way of escape. The question is, are you going to look for the way of escape? So if, if we have the power to say no, then why is it we're not saying no? Why is it that when the temptation comes, we keep falling back into the same trap? I'll tell you why. It's because you see the temptation is better than what Christ has to offer. I mean, let's just get down to what, what we're really talking about here. What we're really talking about is whatever that thing is, and for the moment of sin we're going to enjoy, we're thinking that's better than what Christ has to offer us. So we forget about him, and we run towards the temptation. But what Paul is saying is there's a way of escape. You know what the way of escape is? I heard this story. I actually read about it. It was a mom that went to a zoo, pretty big zoo, had a brand new lion exhibit. And they just rebuilt this whole lion exhibit where you could go in and you could walk over this bridge and you could walk out on these platforms and look off into the actual dens where the lions were. And it was still under construction but they had opened it and this mom goes with her two boys and as they're walking across the bridge, She gets distracted by another woman with a stroller. Something falls off the stroller, so she stops. Her two boys are young, and they can run and walk. And She turns to help this lady with the stroller, when she turns around, the two boys are gone. Guess where they are? They have slipped through one of the construction fences, a little opening about that wide, and they have went into the lion's den. And they have crawled up on this big rock and sitting up there looking at the lions that are asleep down below them. Mom can't get through the gate. Nobody else can. And mom gets up there and she's absolutely freaking out as you can imagine. Here's two boys, the boys are happy. They're fine, look, mom, we got a great view of the lions. No idea of how much danger they're in. So mom goes up to the fence and she, she pauses for them because the first instinct is for her to scream at those boys and yell at those boys and just come at them hard. But something in her, a moment of clarity she says, i got to handle this the right way, or I could scare them and they fall in, or they could run away from me rather than running towards, or they could be overcome with fear, and that caused more of a problem than we've got now. So you know what mom does? Stroke of genius. Mom gets down on one knee, one knee outside that little gate that she can't get through, and she speaks to them, well, hey, boys, hey, boys, hey, mom's got a big hug for you. Anybody want a big hug from mom? Yeah, yeah. So they come running off the rock, run through the gate, and mom gives them a big old hug. Pretty smart, right? Guess what Jesus is saying to you every single time that temptation comes? He's saying, choose me over that. I have done, I have given you life. I've given you freedom. I've given you love and grace like you've never known. That thing can never give you what your heart wants. So will not you just come and walk with me? Because I can give you what your heart desires. You see, in that moment, every time you choose that temptation, you're choosing it in opposition to Jesus. Every time you choose that, you're saying to Jesus, "I've got this." And every time you choose that, yet again, you're believing the lie that it can give you life when it can't. Isn't it time that we run the path that leads us back to His arms? He's greater than all that's tempting you. And you know that that thing has brought nothing but pain in your life. Isn't it time to just walk away from that once and for all? Father in heaven, I thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you, Father, that your Bible, your word is a a unified whole. It speaks to the deepest, deepest areas of our life. And Father, there are people hurting in this building today simply because of the choices they're making. They're choosing to hide it rather than seek help. Trying to save face, trying to look a certain way when on the inside their life is crumbling. There are people here today that before they walked in this place they'd already chose to participate in some temptation. There are people here today their hearts are inclined to something less than you. And Father, now is the time to act on your word, to respond, to reach out to you, to reach out to a sister or a brother in Christ. But Father, if we think we've got this, then we're setting ourselves up for a road of hurt pain. Father, I pray that you'd silence the lies of the evil one. I think we would no longer yield our hearts to the temptations that are in front of us even right now. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.